Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. In the wilderness, we'll remember this. You bring life where there is none. You can, can join us in Genesis chapter 32 if you'd like to follow along in Scripture this morning. We have spent the last several weeks um, looking at the life of Jacob, looking at the story of the life of, of Jacob, and, and we're actually coming to the home stretch a little bit. We're drawing our series on Jacob to close. We got this week and then next week, and then, then we'll be finished. Next week is the first Sunday of Advent, so we are going to be looking towards that, be looking towards all of those things. But next week, we'll draw our time together on the life of Jacob to a close. Last week, we, we finished off our, our, our message last week with this moment where, where God calls Jacob back home where God says, it's time for you to return, come back home, and I will, uh, uh, time for you to return back to your parents and your brother. And Jacob, has, Jacob spends about 20 years living with his uncle Laban, and it, it was 20 difficult years. Yes, he got married, and yes, he had kids, he had 12 kids in all, but as we talked about last week, all of it was surrounded by difficulty, and lying, and manipulation, and, and just more dysfunction. But we closed with, with a, a moment of hope in, in verse 3 of Genesis 31, where God says, oh, Carmen, can you um, click on the thing there? Yeah, there we go. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land your father, or the land of your fathers, and to your relatives, and I will be with you. And in this moment, where, where there's been so much pain and agony and difficulty in the life of Jacob, we see that in this moment we discover that God had never left him, God had never abandoned him, but God was still working with him and still had a plan for his life and his journey. And even though things had gone way off the rails in so many different ways, God was still there. And so that's where we pick up our story today, from this moment where God says to Jacob, okay, it's time to go home. So Jacob is going to head back home, but even in his response to God's call on his life to head back home, things are just so problematic in their lives. Things are just so dysfunctional and broken in their lives I'm just going to read you a couple of verses, verses 19, 20, and 21 from, from, the, from our verses uh, from Genesis 31. Just so you can get just a clear picture of like, even though God spoke, not that much has changed. It says, when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel, so this is, this is Jacob's wife, the, the wife that he had to, to work for 14 years to marry. Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. Even in his going, it's dysfunctional. 
even in his going, it's so problematic and difficult. There's lying, there's deceit, there's stealing. All of these things are taking place. And then at the close of chapter 31, Laban discovers Jacob's left and that he's taken so much stuff with him. So Laban chases after him and after seven days, he catches up with Jacob and his family and they have a confrontation filled with more lies and more deceit. But eventually they, they somehow come to an understanding and Laban leaves and, and lets Jacob go on his way. So we, we've come to this place where Jacob is now free of his uncle, but now he has to turn his attention to the other problem in his life. The, the problem that's facing him now. What's waiting for him at home. Specifically, the reason he had to run away in the first place. He had to run away because of his brother Esau, his brother that he had manipulated and stole from to the point that his brother Esau had sworn to kill him. And that's what's waiting for Jacob at the other end of where he finds himself now. He's left his uncle, and he's on his way back home. But his brother is back home. Esau is back home. So Jacob comes up with a plan. He, he says to his, himself, and those are, okay, well, what, 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 would, what would matter to me? How could, I, how could I make peace with this? How could I do something in order to make this, this right or, or make this go well? And, and so we're, we're just essentially going to read a bunch of verses this morning to discover what happens. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 3, it starts out and says this, Jacob, this is his plan unfolding. How is he going to make things right with his brother? Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir in the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. Catch that. Your servant Jacob. This, this is Jacob saying, this is what I want you to tell my brother. Tell them your servant Jacob that, that they're, they're, he's trying to, to curry some favor here. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. He's essentially, I've got stuff. If you want stuff, I've got some. And if it'll help me find favor in your eyes, just know I can give you some stuff. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. And the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, then the other group may, may, left, may, may escape. Jacob sends these messengers ahead to his brother and says, go, go and, and begin this process and let him know that, that, that I'm coming back home and that I'm looking to find favor in your eyes. I'm looking to make this right. I'm looking to figure out how we can do. How can I make this right? What can I do? I, I've got stuff. I've got people. I, any of that appealing to you? Anything that I can give you to make you, you not mad at me anymore? And the messengers go and they come back and they say, man, we told Esau everything. And it seemed to stir something up in him because he's on his way to meet you now with 400 guys. It's not a welcoming committee. 
or at least it doesn't look that way. It's not a welcoming party. 400 men is an army. And so Jacob panics. Oh, my, my brother is coming and he's bringing 400 men with him? Okay, what can we do? And he divides everything he has up into two with the hopes that Jake, or Esau will attack one and the other will be able to get away while they're busy attacking the other one. And so he, he, heard, he, he, he does everything he can. Now, you may have heard, there's an old sentiment, an old, an old phrase. I'm assuming it probably dates back to, to one of the world wars. But the, the, the idea that there's no atheists in a foxhole. That, that when, you're, when you're in the middle of a desperate situation, even if you have never turned to God before, when your life is on the line, suddenly you have this drawing to turn to the Lord. And so even for Jacob, we see him do something he's never really done before. Up until this point in his story, he's never really turned to God before. We've seen God chase after him. We've seen God appear to him in dreams and say, Jacob, I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. And Jacob just essentially say to God, prove it. When, when I see you do this, then you can be my God. But in this moment, as Jacob is fearful for his life, he turns to God and he prays. In verse 9, he says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I, I had only my staff when I crossed this river Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the, the mothers of my children." But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Now, Jacob, in, in this prayer, he does recognize the problematic life that he's led up until this point. He says, I'm not worthy of all that you've done for me, the, the goodness you've shown me, the faithfulness you've shown me. I'm not worthy of all of those things. But he recognizes, but I see your faithfulness. I see that you, what you've been doing and all that you have done. I came here with nothing, but now look at me. I, I've got two camps. And he reminds God, he says, God, remember, these are the things that you told me and these are the promises that I, I'm wanting to see manifest themselves in my life. You said to go back home and you said that, that you're going to make me and my descendants into a great nation. Remember what you told my, my, my grandfather Abraham and, and remember the promises you've made. And so God, I need your help. I need you to do something here. And so he comes to the Lord and he prays and then he continues to try and figure out how to pacify his brother. God, I need your help. Now let's, let's get to work. So he decides to send him a gift. He, he realizes sort of the, the offer of the gift maybe wasn't enough. But, but maybe if I just send him a gift, that instead of saying, if I can do anything for you, you name your price and I'll send it to you, that maybe his brother wasn't open to that. So what if I just, I set the price and I'll send him some stuff. So he sends him a massive gift. In verse 14, it says this. From what he had with him, 
he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 female camels with their young. 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He sends his brother a zoo. And, and he tells his servant, make sure, and he even tells them in instructions, make sure everything's spread out so that it looks even more impressive. So that when, when you approach my brother and everything is all spread out, that it's going to take some time for all of this stuff to arrive. It's going to look massive. It's going to look huge. There's lots of animals. Spread them out wide. So it just is this awe-inspiring gift. And he tells his servants, okay, now, as you approach Esau and you've got this massive gift, here's exactly what I want you to say. When Esau asks them, what's going on with this traveling zoo? He says, tell my brother this. Speak these words to him. Your, these are from your servant Jacob. They are a gift for you. Jacob is really working hard to try and figure out a way to calm what he is calm what he assumes is a vengeful, angry brother out of his anger. He's trying to figure out what he can do to pacify and assuage the wrong he's done, and he knows that his brother's going to be furious, and so he sends them a zoo. But then we come to this really weird intermission in this story. This really weird moment in, in this story as it takes place where something truly remarkable happens, but something truly, truly strange. It's the only time in Scripture anything like this happens. It's, it's a self-contained moment. And then, but af so after Jacob has, has split up his family and all of his stuff into the two groups and, and to try and avoid complete destruction, he, he intends to spend the night alone. But we discovered that, that, understandably, he can't sleep. He's having some trouble falling asleep. He's scared. Tomorrow he dies. And so he's got a little bit of insomnia because of that. But then, a strange man with no introduction, no context, no explanation, nothing shows up. This is what we're told in verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The man gets no name, no introduction. Where did he come from? What did, they, did he say, hey, let's wrestle? Did he show up and just start beating him up? What, we, we don't know anything. We're just given this picture of, and then, or Jacob was alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask, me, ask my name? 
then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Penile, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed, or as he passed Penile, and as he was limping because of his hip. Jacob spends the night, apparently, wrestling with God. We're, we're given no context, no explanation, no nothing. It's this most amazing and incredible moment that is shrouded in all kinds of, huh? What? This is, not nor this is not a pattern that we see through scripture. This is not something that all of the great patriarchs went through. This is not some kind of like rite of passage in our lives that we take and apply to, well, you, you've, been, you've, you've accepted Jesus into your heart. You've been water baptized. Have you spent the night wrestling with God yet? No? Okay, well, now we know what to pray for. There's just this one sig incredibly significant moment That is just so weird. And I think for us, there's lots that we can take out of this, that we can, we can learn from this. Jacob prayed, God, I need you. And out of this cry of despair, out of this moment of exhaustion and fear and panic, when he's trying to get to sleep, suddenly this guy shows up and they have to fight all night. And my guess is that Jacob was not in that moment thinking, thank you, Jesus, for this answer to my prayer. Thank you, God, for coming and meeting me. Thank you, Lord, for the fulfillment of all that I wanted from you in this guy who just will not stop wrestling me. My guess would be if he was praying at all in this moment, God, would you get rid of this guy? God, I don't know what is happening right here, but this is not what I want. I need to go to bed. I need to go to sleep. And we can see that, that Jacob refused to let go. He refused. He held on to God until God would bless him. And there's lessons for us in that. For us to be able to say, hey, hey, sometimes the answer to your prayer is not going to look like what you thought. Sometimes the answer to your prayer is going to look like the opposite of what you wanted. God, I just need to get some rest. Okay, wrestle all night. Or sometimes we need to just hang on to God until we see the answer to our prayer. Until we see that, that we grab on to God and hold on to God with everything we have and we stubbornly refuse to let go whatever the circumstances. I think there's so much that we can take from this. But for me, what I see in this and what I want to highlight for us today is, is a picture that I think that this moment gives us for this time in Jacob's life and really Jacob's life as a whole. From the moment Jacob was born, he was named the heel grabber. Jacob had been wrestling with who he was and what life had given him. He was just by the slimmest of margins the younger brother. But in the culture of the time, close doesn't mean squat. By simply just coming in second, by simply literally being inches away from being first, he lost everything. 
He lost so much. He lost the birthrights, the blessings. All of the things that would go to the firstborn were now not his. And he was left with none of it. But then we see that there's this other thing that we looked at previously that God had said to, to his mom about his life and what his destiny would be. Back in Genesis chapter 25, God said to, to Jacob's mom, she said, he said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So there's this destiny that, that Esau inherited being the firstborn. The, the birthrights and, and all of the blessings and everything would be passed down through him. But then there's also this other promise from God that was saying, but, but the younger one's actually going to become more significant than the older. God said Esau's going to serve Jacob. And so Jacob grows up in the middle of this conflict, in the middle of this tension. God said to me, God said to mom, I'm going to be the guy. And I really want to be the guy, but I'm the younger brother still. Something has to happen. Something needs to take place. And, and he has a choice to make. He, he's confronted with a choice in his life. Allow God to do something and just put the situation in his hands. And even though nothing looks right, and even though there's no road forward for me to become who God has said, I can trust God, or I can do it myself. Trust God or trust Jacob. Commit his plans and his life to God, or let's make it happen, Captain. And the story that we've been on for the last four weeks is the story of a man wrestling with God over his life and his future. God wanting to do something in Jacob's life. But Jacob not being able or willing or whatever to say, okay, God, come and move, come and work. God, come and do something in my life. Jacob saying, I've got to do this. If I don't do it, this isn't going to happen. Now, something that I think is interesting to look at in this wrestling event that takes place between God and Jacob, this man and Jacob. And I promise we're going to get back to our story and, and unfolding what happens with Jacob and Esau in a second. But is, as they're wrestling, the man who, whom we discover is God, it said that he couldn't overpower Jacob. Now, to me, this is really interesting because I would assert that clearly God can overpower Jacob. My, my youngest son, Theo, he likes to wrestle. Right, buddy? He likes to go and he, he likes to wrestle daddy. And Theo always wins. I have never once beat Theo in a wrestling match. But I'm fairly sure if I really wanted to, it could be over pretty quick. But I don't, I'm not going to do that. And not, oh, you want to wrestle? All right, son. And, but what, and I think that kind of picture can translate to this moment because we really see 
the power that's on display where it says when, when he, he wouldn't overpower Jacob or he couldn't overpower him, he just reaches out and touches his hip. And then it's over and done with. He reaches out and touches his hip and the whole wrestling match is over. I would say to you, God did not need to wrestle Jacob all night long. And he certainly didn't need to make it competitive. But he did. Why? Why did God wrestle Jacob all night long, refusing to overpower him? I think God gives us these kinds of moments as pictures for us to be able to understand our lives, to be able to understand our stories, our pictures. God could have done all kinds of miraculous things, powerful things, to keep all of the bad stuff that we've read about in this story from happening. I mean, God could have removed Jacob's voice as he was about to try and manipulate his brother with the stew. We see God do that in other places in scripture where suddenly just at a moment they can no longer speak. And he could have done that with Jacob. Esau could have walked into the, the, the tent where his brother's making the stew and he's so hungry and, and, oh brother, would you give me some stew? And suddenly Jacob can't speak. And God could have protected, made that not happen. God could have caused a massive earthquake to come and rip the ground open between Jacob and his dad when Jacob showed up at his father's tent to, to lie and deceive and to, to steal his brother's blessing. Could have caused a massive earthquake to come and tear open and create a new Grand Canyon in between him and his dad to prevent him from getting there. God could have touched Jacob's hip at the beginning of this whole wrestling match. And it didn't have to go on all night. But God doesn't do any of that. God lets Jacob make mistakes. He lets Jacob take matters into his own hands. He lets Jacob have his own way, even if it's to his own detriment. Even though God's way is better, even though God's way is right, even though God's way is perfect, God allows Jacob to be Jacob and mess it up. God allows us to be us and mess it all up. He allows Jacob to wrestle with him even when really he doesn't have to. And what I think God wants to speak to us today and to challenge us today is to look at our lives. Look at, look at our lives and our situations and our places and see where are we trying to force things to happen? Where are we trying to force something to happen? Where are we trying to make something happen? Where are we wrestling with God and God's ways in our lives to change something on our own? Where has our trust in the Lord given way to our own aspirations, our own wants to see something happen some way? Where have we compromised our trust in our Father in heaven? What have we given over to our flesh and said to God, God, I've got this. Where have we seen the promises of God in our life? Where have we seen the leading of the Lord in our lives? 
and, and be, maybe we've become frustrated at the perceived lack of action from God. Maybe we've become crushed because we've expected God to do this and do that and do this, and so far none of it's happened. Where have we had dreams and aspirations and longings that we believe are from the Lord that we've been sitting on for 20 years and said, okay, God, I guess I need to do this. God, what, what, have, we, what have we taken from the Lord and placed in our own hands, in our own basket, and said, it, I've got to do this. Today, God wants you to know he is going to let you wrestle with him if you want to. If that's the road you want to take, you can do that. He will let you. Or we can quit wrestling with God. Quit trying to do it ourselves and trust him in this moment. And when we, if we come back to Jacob and Esau for a moment, even in this moment, we see this tension. Jacob prays to God, God, I need your help. God, do something. God, remember all the promises you've made to me. Remember everything you said. God, I need you to do something for me. But at the same time, Jacob is throwing everything he's got at the situation, trying to find an answer, not looking to the Lord. But he's doing everything he's got in his bag of tricks to try and figure out what to do with Esau. How can I make this happen? How can I trick my brother into forgiving me? How can I manipulate him? How can I do what I've done in the past in order to get my way? How can I do that now? What can I give him? What can I throw at the situation? Money? Stuff? People? Whatever it takes. But then we come to the, to the next chapter. The results of the work of Jacob and the results of the work of God. Verse 1 says, Jacob looked up and there was Esau after spending all night wrestling and now he's limping away. He looks up and he sees his brother Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. Every, everybody spread out. Here he's coming. He's coming. He put female servants and their children in front. He puts his female servants. If they're coming, get the servants and their kids out in front. And then Leah and her children. And then Rachel and Joseph in the rear. If we're marching into battle, put the, the ones that are going to be the most expendable up front and, and then keep the more precious people safe. He himself went on ahead and bowed to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. He is trying everything he can to figure this situation out. Jacob sees his brother. Get ready. Here it comes. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he choked him. No. He kissed him. And, and they wept. Huh? What? Esau threw his arms around his neck and hugged his brother. He, he was happy to see him. Verse 5. Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, 
They are the children God has graciously given to your servant. Jacob's mind is starting to race. He, he's seen the stuff. Okay, it's working. It's working. He's seen, okay, okay, th this is all the things that God has so graciously given to me. And, and so he begins to, to continue the parade of stuff. Verse 6, then the female servants and their children approached and, and bowed down. Verse 7, next Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all came Joseph and Rachel. And they too came and bowed down. He's presenting all of his stuff. Maybe, maybe Jacob, or maybe, maybe my brother is seeing all of this and it's starting to change his mind, and all the gifts and everything, they're starting to work. Verse, or verse 8. Esau asked, what is the meaning of all of these flocks and herds that I met? What, what, what is going on with all this stuff, man? Jacob says, well, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. What, what's going on with all this stuff? It's, it's, it's to try and make things right with you. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Wait. So it's not the stuff? It's not the gifts? It's not all the effort? It's not all the bowing down and, and you're my servant and your servant and all of these things? It's not all of these efforts to try and appease his brother's anger? His brother just isn't angry anymore? Jacob had done everything he could do to prepare for his brother's fury and anger. He had done everything to try and appease his brother and his plans, and he had plans in case it didn't work. But this, this was not what he expected. This was not how this was supposed to go. You see, Jacob had done everything he could to figure it out. But it wasn't his efforts that carried the day. Esau's heart wasn't changed because of gifts or displays, because of zoos and because of all the stuff that he sent his way. God had been working. God had been trying to make a way for Jacob to come back home. God knew what needed to be happening for his plan to come through, for his rescue plan for all of us to take place. And it wasn't Jacob's efforts that made this reunion possible. It was God. Jacob had wrestles, or Jacob has wrestled with God every step of the way in our story so far. This is the fifth sermon on the same topic. And here we see all along, not only was God working, but God was also repairing the work that Jacob had tried to do himself. Jacob was never going to get himself back home. But God made a way for Jacob where there was no way. And this is what God wants to show us today. We can fight. We can try. We can wrestle. We can do everything in our own strength. Or we can give it to God. Or we can trust in God. Lay down our efforts, our energy, our plans, and our schemes. They're not going to do what we want anyway and place our lives and our futures, our joy and fulfillment, our plans and our wants, our happiness and peace in the hands of the Lord. I want to close with just a couple of verses from Psalm chapter 62. It says this, 
Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. All you could see was darkness. Our hearts were Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus. Then click on the About Us on the main menu. And then one last click on our campus pastor. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go. Things new, all things new, you make all things.